BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Quirology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Quirology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Quirology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 75 Self-awareness is our superpower in so many ways. Like, like our life depends on it. Welcome back. My goodness, I, I really didn't have the intention of pausing Queerology for an entire month. And yet, that's what happened. I was, I was working on my book and didn't have the capacity to work on episodes. And then all of a sudden, a whole month had gone by. Uh, but we're back now. have some really exciting things lined up. Uh, Today, I have Abby Robbins, uh, who is a trained Enneagram teacher who studied with Helen Palmer, Marion Gilbert, Peter O'Hanaran, and others through the Narrative Enneagram in Menlo Park, California. Abby is also a CIAYT yoga therapist uh, with the International Association of Yoga Therapists. Their teaching combines the deep and transformative insight of the Enneagram with the holistic and down-to-earth practices of yoga therapy. Robin seeks to share these two powerful systems to help people better understand themselves and those around them and live more fulfilling and meaningful lives. As a queer, non-binary Enneagram teacher and yoga therapist, they're also working tirelessly to bring quality teaching in both areas to the queer community. Abby seeks to empower sexual and gender minorities with self-understanding, self-compassion, and embodied practices to heal from the trauma inherent in existing on the margins. They also hope to educate other yoga and Enneagram teachers on how to best serve the queer community through their own teaching. Abby was on the podcast, y'all may remember this, way, 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 way back. One of the first episodes of Queerology. They're one of my best friends in the world. Abby and I go way back to my undergraduate days. Uh, we met in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, uh, and, <laughs> and have lived a lot of life together. They're doing such incredible work in the world. And I'm really excited to dive into this this concept of queering the Enneagram. This episode it does come with a little bit of an assumption that you know what the Enneagram 
is. Abby talks about it a little bit. We don't get into a lot of the nitty gritty of what the numbers are. But if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, uh, maybe head over to Abby's website first, uh, which is ConsciousEnneagram.com. They have a bunch of teaching up there, the introductory teaching to the Enneagram that could be helpful before you listen to this episode. You're probably fine listening to it without knowing anything about the Enneagram as well, although a few parts might be a little bit confusing. Uh, no announcements this week other than another big welcome back. It's it's good to be in my closet doing this again. <laughs> uh, let's just go ahead and dive in. Abby, hi. Welcome. Welcome back. Yeah. Hi, Matthias. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, to be back doing the podcast. Like, Yeah, I'm super glad that like this worked out. I'm just super stoked. I get to like talk to you for the next however many minutes. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So you've been on the podcast before. You were like on one of the very first episodes. Episode Um, five. Yes. I remember. (laughs) I was was thinking five too, but the number of times that I mentioned an episode and then it's the wrong number. I, yeah. So episode five. Yes. A lot of things have changed (laughs) for you since then. Yeah. So the question that I ask everyone, how do you identify and how would you say that your faith has helped form that that identity? Gosh, I'm out of practice. (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens when you take a month break to write a book, Matthias. I know. (laughs) Well, this is fun. It's kind of like update like (laughs) so my name is abby robbins i am non-binary i am white i am from kansas i am queer and i am a yoga therapist and enneagram teacher i'm partnered i have an amazing partner and we have two kids we also have nine animals and that live in our house that's one of the substantial changes is we have considerably more animals in the house than the last time I was on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And how my faith has formed that, like informed that identity. It's been really interesting. I think, especially in the last few, last six or eight months for me, really, or I guess yeah, last year, really, I mean, let's get real, kind of wrestling with my faith, wrestling with what I believe and how that puts me into categories. It feels a lot like my journey with gender, my journey with my faith were are very similar and and are very paralleled in a lot of ways. Over the last year or year and a however long it's been since I was on your podcast, 2 years? I don't even remember. It's almost 2 years, yeah. Oh Jesus. That's I know. So long. Yeah. I have been working through gender issues have been slowly going through the process of coming out as non-binary. And in the last year or so, I've been working with my faith and my spirituality and getting really getting really clear about what I believe, what that means for my life and what that means for my spirituality and how I relate to the divine. It's been interesting like leaving this idea of Christianity as as a whole, um, like as an entity, as a religion, while still having this very deep spiritual experience and kind of moving myself into a place of nothingness, which feels very like parallel to my you know, journey with gender. It's like leaving this idea of being a woman, but not necessarily flipping over to being a man, it, moving into this like unknown space, this just kind of like everything and nothing sort of space. And so I would say definitely culturally, I identify as a Christian. 
I don't necessarily think that that's like escapable in our, in this country, especially, you know, I grew up in the church. This is the language that I have. This is the experiences that I've had. But in the last, especially six months, I've been really questioning about how that relates to how I gather with people and how I experience my spirituality and how I interact with the divine. And I found that the kind of the outside trappings like don't look like it used to anymore. That's just continued and like continued to evolve to the point where it's like, I feel a lot of camaraderie with a lot of Christians and I feel the opposite of that with a lot of Christians too. <laughs> uh, what is the opposite of camaraderie? Uh, anyway. Hostility? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and so I hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it, for me, it actually, it feels more comfortable to kind of, I mean, for as uncomfortable as it is, it feels more comfortable for me at this point to, you know, say that I'm nothing, which is not to say that I don't have faith. It's more to say that, you know, I would rather not exclude myself by including myself in this very specific kind of group. Anyway, that is not necessarily what we had planned on talking about. I hadn't really considered I was going to have to answer that question again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this was, yeah, this was interesting. Yeah, we are going to be talking about the Enneagram, but if I can ask a follow-up question oh, yeah. before we dive into that. I mean, you mentioned the way that your kind of interactions with the divine have been shifting, and I'd be curious about that. Like what kind of what has been going on in that space? Yeah. As you've been exploring gender. I think it is they are so very much tied together. Like my interactions with the divine have become so much more ordinary. There's so much more about being present in my body. There's so much more about just kind of the day-to-day things that happen. And and I feel like I owe this to my my practice, like my yoga practice and my spiritual practices, as well as my like exploration of gender. There's this there's this quote from the Bhagavad Gita that that says to I don't know if it's a to the person of much knowledge or to the person Oh, to to the true sage, that's what it is. To the true sage, all of the books of wisdom are like wells when water flows freely everywhere. And so I feel like a lot of, I feel like that has, that has really been a, a touchstone for me over the last year and a half or so where the well that I had been getting my water from all the time, every day, uh, started to run dry in some respects and realizing that by really engaging with my body and by allowing my life to be a little bit more simple, really allowing myself to settle a little bit more and like settle, not in the bad sense, but settle as in like settle down. I can see where the water has been flowing all around me all the time. Like I didn't need the well anymore. Yeah. It feels like we're cutting a thread short by leaving that there. And I would imagine these threads will pick up as we continue to talk about oh, the yeah. Enneagram. Because I, I yeah. kind of want to shift into that because you're doing such incredible work. You've been training. You've been uh, just like, it's yeah. been amazing to watch over the past few years how your work in the Enneagram has just begun to deepen and kind of blow up a little bit. Like, it, yeah. So much work around queering the Enneagram. And like we were talking earlier, like there there aren't many queer people teaching the Enneagram. 
you mentioned you're the only non-binary person um, that I know of. That you know of. I, as you can hear Ziggy scratching in the background. Hi, Ziggy. Hi, Ziggy. That's my dog. She's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if there are, if there is anyone listening who is an Enneagram teacher or is hoping to become an Enneagram teacher and you are trans or non-binary, please hit me up. But yeah, there are not a lot of. It does feel a little bit like pioneering or like jaunting through uncharted territory to some extent. Well, and it's interesting that this question kind of comes on the heels of, you know, talking about my spirituality and kind of this like simplicity that I've been experiencing and this settling down. And I think it has a lot to do with my work in the Enneagram. Like, I mean, Matthias, you know me, you know that I have done a lot of shit in my life. (laughs) I've gone a lot of different directions. I've, I can always do that with a lot of energy. I mean, I can talk briefly about my Enneagram type and why that is, but in the last couple of years, things have really, I mean, part of, you know, being partnered and having kids. I mean, as soon as my partner and I got serious, she had two kids when we entered the relationship. I was like, I need to get my shit together. Like this whole following whatever passion or whatever dream I have for six months and then doing something different is not going to cut it anymore. Like I've got kids. This is for real. I started the process of becoming a yoga therapist. Like I went back to school. That will be done in June, I'm hoping. Congratulations. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Thank you. In that process, I also, I mean, there's nothing that forces you to do your own interpersonal work, like having children. Oh, my God. And so I was also at the same time very much diving into the Enneagram and really working with, like on a personal level, working with that. And it was actually my partner that suggested, hey, you you should teach the two of these things together, like yoga and the Enneagram. And I was like... I kind of humored her. I was like, okay, like, whatever. Like, I'll see. You're right. It kind of blew up. Like, it was not anything that I had planned or expected. But people started coming to the workshops, started, you know, wanting more. It just kind of, like, continued to flow in a way that I was not expecting. And so, yeah, I've been really, like, doing a lot of work in this space. And after I started, you know, I taught a couple workshops on the Enneagram and yoga because I felt felt very confident in, you know, my knowledge up to that point and how they kind of work together. Like I had a I had a pretty decent understanding, even though I hadn't done any like formal study with the Enneagram. I'd read a lot of books. I had done some like small groups at my church. And then after that like started to blow up, I got a little bit more connected with the Enneagram community here in Austin, it became really clear very, very quickly that this is the direction I needed to go. I needed to go through the process of becoming certified. I needed to really, you know, put myself under this. I mean, authority feels like a weird word to say, but like, I really, and this is coming kind of from my yoga background too, is that like, I really felt the strong desire to like be part of a lineage and really you know, not rely on my own interpretation of books and things like that, but really allow myself to be steeped in it and really allow myself to be changed by it. And so I did my training last August in Menlo Park with the narrative Enneagram. And it was completely, it was completely incredible. I was in California for three weeks doing an intense amount of personal, like exploration, like 12 hours a day for, (laughs) I think the total was like 19 days. And basically, I came back from that and really, I mean, hit the ground running, teaching and, you know, putting out content on Instagram and creating a website, all this stuff. And as I continued to really like dive into things, it was super, super clear that I was looking at things differently. And I mean, it was also very clear in the training where (laughs) 
I was there for three weeks and like other people come and go. And so I probably came into contact with like 80 people who were there to be trained. I think there were three queer people, like including me. <laughs> so that's, that's an incredibly small number that is not in alignment with like demographics. Like that is not, <laughs> it's like, it's skewed. That is not <laughs> like, we are not like. 3% of the population. Especially of people who are interested in the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, there's something going on here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like so, that's like the first first date question is, what is your Enneagram number? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. so cool. I mean, we can talk about it from like the Enneagram perspective, like all the queer people that are into it. But then when you kind of look at like the queer community, like we have been we have been interested in ways to understand ourselves, communicate our differences and our similarities. I mean, like you look at astrology is super big in the queer community. Like all the good queers are in therapy. Like we don't like we, and this is kind of like jumping the gun to what one of the big things that we wanted to talk about today, which is like, we're, we're people who have to do a lot of this self-awareness work. It is required. I mean, you don't get to, you don't get to check out while being queer. And I think a lot of people try and you see a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms in our community, but that's, I think it's mostly because you can't actually like not, there's not a clear cut path in life for people who live outside of dominant culture. And so like we, <laughs> we have to forge our own path in so many different ways. Yeah. And so it is, I mean, it is big in the queer community and I think it's, huge in like the queer Christian <laughs> like community. And so, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see how, you know, this was kind of the first red flag or not necessarily red flag, but like this first uh, concern that started to kind of pick up for me that, like, oh, oh, this is, this is not like in alignment. There is something happening here. Um, and for some reason, we're not like all of the people who are interested in it and who talk about it and know about it aren't showing up to these trainings. Why is that? So that's where I kind of got really, really interested in this work around, you know, queering the Enneagram and, and looking at that. Why? Why is this happening? And then even more like, why do we need to fix it? I think is the really, like really, really big piece. Yeah. For, for people who are listening, who maybe don't know what the Enneagram is, could you kind of like give like a really brief definition yes. of the Enneagram and maybe in the midst of that, talk about like, talk about querying the Enneagram and, and why, why we need to queer it and how it can be a helpful tool, especially for queer people. Yeah. Okay. So the Enneagram is, I like to think of it as kind of like the ancient spiritual Myers-Briggs, just to give some people like a really clear context of what we're talking about. The Enneagram is a personality typing system based on a symbol that was introduced to the West by a man named G.I. Gurdjieff. Gurdjieff was this kind of inner work, spiritual work guru, badass, whatever you want to call him, who developed this school of thinking about and this school of self-development. He taught the Enneagram, like the symbol, as a piece of sacred geometry. He talked about it in the sense of like, this is how all energy manifests in the universe. Like, this is how things came to be. And it got taught and passed down. It was an oil tradition. People talked about it, um, worked in communities with each other. 
And it trickled down to a guy named Echazo, who was, um, oh, he's either Chilean or Argentina. I forget, but he is from South America. I feel awful for not knowing this right off the top of my head. And he started working with this idea of it being this kind of manifestation of energy also showing up in the human personality. He was a psychoanalyst and he could see these things showing up in his clients, the people that he was working with. And so then one of his students, Claudio Naranjo, really fleshed out the system and then brought it to the United States in like the 70s. From there, it's trickled down and gone through, like done the rounds and kind of the New Age movement. It also found some roots in the church because there are some kind of mystical mystical roots, uh, both from Christianity and Judaism and Islam that are all kind of tied in to the Enneagram's like deep mystical history. But essentially what it's telling us is that there are nine different ways of seeing the world. These ways of seeing the world are kind of driven by our core motivations. So when we talk about the Enneagram, we're not necessarily talking about behaviors or the way you act you know, when you're with people or when you're by yourself, but really what's driving those actions more than anything. And there may be some, you know, there are definitely some stereotypes of what these motivations cause us to do, like what behaviors kind of manifest from these motivations. But once you really get into the Enneagram, you start to see there's, there's so much more nuance and it's really the motivation that's key. It definitely moves a lot deeper than something like the Myers-Briggs or the DISCs or the Strengths Finder. You know, when you start looking at all of these different, like, personality typing systems. It also allows a lot more movement. So it, it does a really incredible job of articulating how we show up, how our personalities shift depending on our circumstances, depending on how we feel in our bodies, depending on whether we feel safe or whether we feel stressed out or any of these different things. And so there's a lot of, it's a very complex and nuanced system. And there's a lot of really cool movement that happens in it. And what I have found and what a lot of people I know who enjoy the Enneagram have found that it's, it allows you so much more room when you're looking at like yourself and you're trying to understand yourself because it's not just like a, you know, it's not just four letters that kind of dictate what you're supposed to look like or feel like or et cetera. There's a lot more space in it. I come from a school of Enneagram teaching that is all about sharing the Enneagram in community. The Enneagram for the longest time was an oral tradition. No book, I mean, like no books were written about it. It was just passed down from people to people talking about it, working with it in community. The first books weren't even published until 1989. So like the written history of the Enneagram is very short. I come from this school that is called the narrative tradition. And we, we work with listening to people from their own perspectives, tell us what it's like to be their type. It's such a it's such a powerful experience because you really get this really deep and nuanced understanding of people through this. And in it, you, you start to see that like, oh, not everybody who is a type four looks like this. You know, there's kind of this infinite amount of difference in each of the types, but it's that core motivation that really strings things together. Like you see, okay, all of these people come from different backgrounds or et cetera, and they look so different, but somehow there, there is something about them that is all the same. And this is really interesting to me, especially this approach to the Enneagram, when we talk about like queering the Enneagram, because when we look at it, you know, we're really taking into account the person's experience 
when everybody on the panel or when everybody in the room talking about the Enneagram or everybody who's teaching about the Enneagram all look the same and all have similar experiences, either of race or sexuality or gender identity, you start to miss out on some of those really amazing nuances. And you start to miss out on kind of, you start to assume that your experience is universal because you're not listening to anybody else's perspective. That's kind of one of the things that that I think is so important about bringing this other approach to the Enneagram conversation. The biggest thing in the Enneagram is learning about, oh, like I'm not the only, like the way I see the world is not the only way the world can be seen. You learn so much compassion for yourself and for other people through that and by learning how other people see the world. It's this incredibly humbling experience and I, I'm often, I often like, I have to laugh because we are not, we as the Enneagram community are not necessarily all that great at applying the way we approach the, like applying what we learn in the Enneagram to how we approach the Enneagram. Yeah. And so that's what I'm really trying to do is to, to get more people to approach the Enneagram in this slightly different way, which is, you know, kind of my understanding of queer theory is like, approaching things from the outside instead of from the inside, you know, taking a more objective approach, you know, looking around, seeing who's not in the room, you know, whose experiences are different and how does that affect what we're learning? Yeah. You talk about queer people having to have self-awareness. Like we can't really escape that because of the, because we're queer, because we're, we're living in a dominant culture that require that forces us to look at ourselves. Basically. I hear you talking about the Enneagram kind of being a tool to then help, help with that self-awareness. Yeah. It's well, and what it is, is the Enneagram requires self-awareness and it's, it's designed to help us see ourselves better. And to see the things about ourselves that maybe we don't want to look at, (laughs) maybe the things that are getting in our way, maybe the things that are causing us problems. I don't know that anyone is as good at looking at their own uncomfortable shit as people who live, you know, outside of dominant culture, people who live on the margins. And, you know, as a queer person, I come at it specifically from this like queer perspective. And so it's like, I think that, well, yeah, like queer people know this. Like, we have to do this. Like, what is more uncomfortable than, like, wrestling with your sexuality or wrestling with your gender identity? Especially if you've grown up deeply steeped in, you know, a religious tradition that tells you you're going to hell. If you, (laughs) you know, if you actually feel this way. It's interesting when you look at the queer community, you know, we're very much required, very much required to look at ourselves. And to understand ourselves in a way that is much deeper and and often much earlier than people who don't experience this kind of you know dissonance with dominant culture. That's amazing. It like it's kind of like self awareness is our superpower in so many ways. Like we've been doing it longer. We've been like it's like, like our life depends on it. Uh, you know, if you grew up in you know, rural America, being queer, your life very much depends on you understanding yourself and understanding how you come across to other people and understanding how you move and how you talk and who you look at and who you make eye contact with. And it's like your life depends on that in so many ways. One of those ways is literally like 
very literally like your life could depend on that. We have this this capacity to see and understand ourselves and to work through and accept things that are difficult. You know, like we're already well practiced at it. Um, and these are all of the things that the Enneagram requires of us. You know, if we're going to use this system for either personal growth or for spiritual growth, that is exactly what we're doing is we're, we're working to understand ourselves better. That means holding more of who we are, which is often very uncomfortable. The problem is for the queer community is we don't often have access to these kinds of tools. And there's often a lot of like trauma around the things that we discover, you know, through this capacity for self-awareness, you know, like realizing you're gay and immediately understanding that like that is not okay. It kind of, it sets you back when really this gift, if nurtured correctly, can really, really set you apart, you know, give you this depth of experience of your own life and of spirituality. You know, we don't have enough access to these kinds of tools. Along with that, we don't have access to people who can speak to it the way that we understand it. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing in the Enneagram community right now is one, like working to make it more accessible for queer people. You know, we all know the statistics, like queer people get paid less, like we're more likely to experience mental health issues, we're more likely to be homeless, we're more likely to face financial difficulties that our straight counterparts don't face. And so when you're talking about you know, becoming an Enneagram teacher, it's like a three week you know, training in California that costs $8,000. It's like, that is inaccessible to the vast majority of queer people. And I understand that because I'm white, I carry a lot of privilege. I understand that because of the community that I live in, I have a lot of privilege. The friends that I have, like, I cannot say that I myself made it to that training myself. I did not. I raised money I was given a lot of very generous support from a lot of different people, but that was the only way that I would have been able to go. And so talking with different schools, talking with the International Enneagram Association about, okay, how do we develop more scholarships? How do we get more people involved in this idea of opening it up to more people? And then once you get there, <laughs> it's like, how do you make it a safer place to show up in? One of my good friends at training, like he mentioned, like after the three weeks, like we went through the whole weeks together after the three weeks, he was like, you know, I remember you on the first day and I didn't think you were going to make it. Like you had your baseball cap on, like down over your eyes. You were like, you know, and I was just like head, head first into my journal and I was writing. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like I was stressed out. And I know that part of that is because there's nobody here that looks like me. As, you know, like I do a good job of showing up and trying to be comfortable in all places, but there's something about like, am I going to have to fight? Am I going to have to explain myself? Am I going to have to defend my identity? Am I like, how many people am I going to have to educate about being non-binary? How many people am I going to have to educate about being queer and what that means? So these spaces can become really exhausting in a lot of ways. They don't necessarily have to be, you know, the Part of what I want to do with the work that I'm doing is really encouraging these, you know, the people running these training programs. There's there's a lot now to develop some more standards and policies around making it safer for queer people to come in, making it known that it is safe for queer people to come in and be and show up as their whole selves. That's what we need as a community is like access to these tools and spaces where we can learn these tools in community 
that'll allow us to be who we are, you know, fully and like unapologetically. That's it's so hard to come by, and that sucks. Yeah, because it's so often taught from a pretty straight perspective. Um, <laughs> yes. Mm, and pretty white perspective. Like, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I, there, there, I know of communities out there that are that are working on specifically only for people of color who yeah. are doing Enneagram work. And it's like, we need more of this mm-hmm. everywhere for queer people, for people of color to, to take it out of the hands of just the white straight people. Yeah. Because um, because if, if there truly is a tool of like expansive personhood then yeah that's a good way of putting it it. (laughs) i'm curious abby because i think so often when we talk about the enneagram like i love talking about the enneagram it's kind of like a reductive way like there is really fun to be like oh you're just (laughs) like i'm a seven to just be like oh that's my sevenness or whatever oh you must be a four or like oh you're definitely an eight like like those things like it's a lot of fun to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But for for people who are wanting to maybe move a step further beyond or who are curious about like, uh, how can you actually use Enneagram for personal growth? Yeah. What does that process look like kind of bringing it beyond just typing someone and kind of the stereotypes around a type? Yeah. What does growth look like from an Enneagram perspective? It's, as far as the Enneagram is concerned, like, Learning your number and like figuring out where you fall on the diagram, like that is that is absolute step one. Like that might even be like the pre-step to the actual work of like why why this thing has any meaning to begin with. And I think I mean the work obviously looks different for each of the nine types, but for people who are listening who are like, you know, I feel like there's something here, but I'm not really getting it, like the memes are funny, you know, like I follow some good Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts that make me laugh. You know, like for people who are asking like what's next, I think it's super important to find community around it. You know, the Enneagram being an oral tradition and trying to like stay true to that, it's so important to find community around it. It's amazing to me how many like actual like meetup groups there are in different cities all across the country. And there's different places you can go to look those up. You can go, you know, to the International Enneagram Association's website. They have, like, different chapters all across the country. But usually a good, like, Facebook search or Google search brings up groups and meetups and things like that. Like, it's so important to find community. And I think with that, kind of like a subset to this is, like, you have to find people who know more about it than you do. Like, you have to find people who've been doing it longer. You have to find people who have already gone through the process, who are going through the process and who are further along than you are. I feel really lucky that in Austin, there's an Enneagram meetup that's been going for 20 years, like on the third Thursday of the month for 20 years. And it's run by a couple people who've been certified in the narrative tradition for a little more than 20 years. You know, they bring this depth of knowledge and of understanding that is so valuable. And I think really getting in touch with people like that who can really walk you through it and who can be with you while you're in it. Because it is, it's an everyday thing. Like I, I'm really big on having a practice, having a spiritual practice, something that connects you to the wholeness inside of you, having something that reminds you to look at yourself, reminds you to watch yourself throughout the day. 
so that you can see like, oh, I'm acting like this again. Or I like, oh, here's that pattern again. I see it. I see it happening. Oh, like, look at me. I feel, I feel angry again. Like, okay, now I can let that go the way it normally does. I'll just let that like boulder roll downhill. Or if I pay attention, I can, I can choose something different. And I think that's really where the growth is, is like using this as a way to observe yourself more clearly. From there, choose what's more appropriate for the situation. You know, our patterns are things that develop because they kept us safe. They helped us survive in, in very literal ways. They kept us alive. But the way that we operated, you know, when we were children, that's not necessarily the best way to operate anymore. And I think as we grow and we start to really pay attention to ourselves, we realize more and more like, oh, I'm missing the point <laughs> in a lot of these spaces. I think the Enneagram shows us that like we can, we have access to more if we wake up to it, if we pay attention to it. I don't have to do the, like my partner and I don't have to have the exact same fight every six weeks, like clockwork. Like we don't have to do that. But if we don't want to do that, then we actually have to both pay attention to ourselves and pay attention to the way that we react to each other, pay attention to the way that we speak to each other. And when things get heated, can we learn to choose something different, like not go down the same path that we always go down? And I think that's so much of the work is that like, you know, our patterns did so much for us, but they're not always the best thing in every situation. You know, we talk about if you've, if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, sometimes it's not a nail. You know, can you change tools? And I think that's the real like work of working with the Enneagram and using the Enneagram like in your life for personal growth. It's so much more than just like, haha, you're such a six or like, of course, you're sad. You're a four you know, like, oh, you're a two, will you help me with this? This sort of thing. Like, there's so much more to it than that. Like you said, like this kind of, it, it can really be this tool for like this whole and complete personhood, like expansive personhood, which is really so cool to experience. Like the little bits that I get, it's like, oh yeah, I don't have to act this way. There's more to be than just this. You mentioned community and I feel like so much of your work is focused on building community. So you have your podcast, you have like Queer Enneagram Facebook group, you have your Instagram, you have like, you're doing so much. Could you maybe talk a little bit about like all of those things and then how people can find you yes. and your work? What yeah, do you offer? I'm doing a lot of community building. That's really, that's a big push for me right now because I feel like queer people need more community around it. You know, the majority of the narrative right now is so straight and <laughs> cisgendered. And so it's time to really shake it up. So I'm trying to get as many people kind of gathered and, and hear their stories. And to that end, you know, I have a podcast where I'm interviewing people every week. Some are queer, some are not, but I'm super excited. Uh, the podcast is called Conscious Construction. So you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And starting, I'm so stoked about this, but starting in June, Basically from June until August, it will be, I'll be interviewing nothing but queer voices. I started, I was like, I'm going to have all queer people for Pride Month. And then I started looking at who I was interviewing and I was like, oh my God, I, it's just like the rest of the year. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you are, like if people are listening and are wanting more community around these kind of personal growth issues, I do have a, I'm running Queer Enneagram Facebook group. So I think if you just search Queer Enneagram 
on Facebook. You can find it. You can find all of my work at Conscious Enneagram. So Facebook, Instagram, Conscious Enneagram. Twitter is Conscious Ennea because I couldn't have and I didn't have enough spaces <laughs> to put the whole word. And ConsciousEnneagram.com is kind of where I'm doing the majority of my content stuff is there. You can get to the podcast from there and all the social media stuff. And then, I mean, the biggest thing that I'm doing now that I'm kind of gearing up for is I'm actually presenting at the International Enneagram Association's global conference this year on queering the Enneagram, which I'm super excited about to really take this message, you know, right to the heart of the Enneagram community. Like the people who are doing all of the big moving and shaking are going to be there. It's going to be like Enneagram enthusiasts and teachers from all over the globe, all over the world. I'm super stoked to kind of share this work and share what I've been thinking on and working with and hopefully start to make some waves. Yeah. Uh, so exciting. Yeah. I'm stoked mm. about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Abby, so much. This is it's always a treat to talk to you. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me, Matthias. This was yeah. great. I'm stoked. Yeah. Everyone go follow Abby's work. So, yeah, come hang yeah. out. It's real cool yeah. over here. <laughs> you can find Abby over on their website, ConsciousEnneagram.com. They're on Instagram and Facebook at Conscious Enneagram and on Twitter at Conscious Ennea. C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-E-N-N-E-A. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from over 230 Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support Queerology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or go to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll try to get back to you. Sometimes it takes me a month. And until next week, y'all, bye. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.